Welcome back to all our listeners, and Annette and I are glad to have a former guest of ours come back the second time for our live stream today. And I am talking about the number one best-selling author in Amazon. I am talking about none other than Mr. Christian Bolin. Hi, Mr. Christian. How are you today? Fantastic, Mahal. Really appreciate it. And it's so wonderful to be in a live stream. And uh, of course, we can see each other and hear each other. And uh, I'm very excited to be with you. And may God uh, touch us all and really have his spirit with us is my hope. So happy for today that we have a Christian here with us. And uh, we have our fellow ladies here. I believe that two or more is gathering. God is in the middle of us. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you all today. You are married, right? And yeah. how long? For how long? Uh, it's coming on 37 years. Wow, that's yeah. fantastic. Yes, yeah. we have a lot of things as a couple, right? You got this situation that sometimes we get this storm in the middle of our situation that sometimes we give up. But how come that you continue? Because nowadays we heard a lot of couples like just a little bit of problem, divorced. Mm -hmm. Little bit of problem, separated. Little bit of problem, he's gone. Yeah. So how is this situation of yours that we know it's so heavy and you're still standing? Yeah. Well, thank you for asking. And of course, when Mahal and I initially contacted each other, it was in the context of a book that my wife and I wrote together called Healing the Stormy Marriage. And it's been stormy because we've had severe mental health issues affecting our relationship. So both of us have mental health conditions. Mine is less severe and it's really been nicely under control. And I feel really fantastic for about the last 15 years. But my wife's condition is one that's just known to be very, very difficult and pretty much last all your life, but they can learn coping skills. So I think I ought to be very upfront about that because that's really the essence of why we're talking today and what I think makes our relationship unique. And uh, her, her condition, by the way, is borderline personality disorder, which is heavy duty. A lot of folks are in counseling for years for that. And uh, to say that it affected our relationship massively, you know, it's, it's just a fact. So you asked, you know, how is it that you're still together? Well, I know, and I'm certain we wouldn't have lasted past the first year had it not been for my faith in God and relying on prayer for guidance. And also having received, I don't know that everybody gets this or, or always needs this, but in my case, God gave me a very clear manifestation at the beginning of our relationship. Very clear, like one of the most powerful I've ever had that touched my heart to know that this was right. This marriage was right. And that not to let go of it too soon. You know, as Christians, when we study how God intended marriage to be, it was absolutely with all in, 100%, and the only time that we believe that it's justified. And there are times that separation is necessary or potentially divorce. So when you have a dangerous and abusive situation, but through God's help, you know, we have found our way to where things are much, much more stable, not perfect for sure. There are still some severe bumps in the road. Like this last year has been very rocky for a number of reasons, but overall things have gotten a whole lot better. There's a lot of happiness and joy. So does that answer your question, Annette? Yes, you answered it perfectly. And 
it was amazing, you know, with your situation. And I believe that if God is in the middle of your relationship, it will always be successful. There is no perfect relationship except for God, but I believe that God will bring the joy and the happiness to our life as a couple. Thank you so yeah. much for the answer. Yeah. You know, there's a book, there's quite a few people. Rick Warren is a very popular pastor and author. Uh, Gary Thomas is a very popular author about marriage. And they've both said quotes that are kind of similar, that God is more interested in your holiness than in your happiness. Not that he doesn't care about our happiness. He wants us to have an abundant life full of joy. But a lot of times we think of happiness as, well, a little more fleeting, a little more you know, pleasurable, relaxing, that kind of happiness. God seeks our deep inner joy and development of a Christ-like character. So Rick Warren said, and we quote this in our book, God is more interested in your character than in your comfort. And, and so that like the book by Gary Thomas, Sacred Marriage is about how God uses marriage to make us more holy. And that's really a key message of our book is that I kept feeling very deeply that despite how hard things were, that this was right, that that with God's help, we would find a way, and that in the process, there's no question that we've been changed. We are both more God-loving, more humble, more submissive, both toward each other and toward God. And, you know, uh, I've heard a quote also that no place like marriage and family can God work his work as deeply as significantly to change our hearts. That's that's really the place where God does his work the most. So when people decide, you know, I didn't sign up for this, they find out that their partner has an addiction issue of some kind, could it be pornography, which is huge now. The, the numbers are off the charts. It's quite alarming. Uh, but other substance abuse, you know, so we categorize those as mental health conditions also, like like professional psychologists do. So those things can greatly affect a relationship. And if you discover that your spouse has that kind of condition, I mean, I was panicked. I was afraid in the, in, in the beginning. But that's where if we trust God first, the way the scriptures teach us, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Then he can lead you to where you have more confidence and so forth. So that's like message number one that we have found is that relying on God is, is key. But I want to back up a bit to hope. Like the first word in our subtitle of this book, by the way, is in the blue section is hope. It is people need hope. Now, I don't know, uh, like those of you who are listening to this live right now, if you're in these experiences where marriage is affected by mental health, it's very possible. In their lifetime, statistically, 50% of people will have some type of mental health episode. So whether it's in your immediate family or extended family, it's very likely that you've been affected by some of this. So the first thing that people need to feel is hope to not throw in the towel and give up. And so our story is really one of hope because I begin with telling a one-page version of what our situation was that we were separated four times, filed for divorce twice within the first 15 years. And then I posed the question, what would you say to somebody in that situation? Is there a glimmer of hope? Is it throwing the towel? Absolutely not a chance. Well, believe it or not, that was our situation. And through a pretty miraculous thing that happened at year 15 that 
uh, I don't really have time to get into the whole thing, but really significantly moves the things in a positive way for us. We've we're, here we are still, and we're glad. We're grateful to God. We're we're uh, in love with each other. You mentioned, and we talked about it before, that you and your wife separated before and even filed divorce twice. So, what happened in those times? What made you change your mind from? I'm done. I want to give up. I'm leaving to, you know what? I'm going to make it work and I'm going to stay in this marriage. Yeah. Well, great, great question. So why did we get back together and so forth? Well, number one is I saw signs of progress each time and things didn't go back as far, you know, as negative, as hurtful, as difficult as they were. It might have dipped down to that. I have to say that that would happen. But the overall trajectory was better. So I, I began to see enough change. And there's one a chapter in our book that is one of the most important concepts out there, and that's one of boundaries. And maybe you guys have studied it or heard about it, but all of us to feel healthy psychologically and to have a, a life where we just feel joy, we have to have boundaries. We can't allow other people to walk all over us. There has to be things that we say, I value this, I will not accept this kind of behavior. And if you do this kind of thing, here's what I'm going to have to do to protect myself. Being willing to speak up and say, I'm not okay with what you're saying right now. Or no, I'm not going to do that. You know, those are just some quick examples of boundaries. But when you set boundaries with somebody who's emotionally unstable or has an addiction problem, they're usually going to freak out for quite a while like over a matter of months or whatever. This really going to introduce upheaval. But I also know folks who didn't set those boundaries and lived in misery, and it just messes them up spiritually. So I learned quite early on about boundaries. When we were separated, that was a, a very assertive way of enforcing a boundary that said, this is totally unacceptable. I can't live like this, and I won't live like this. So here's some things that we need to do as goals going forward. Of course, in the beginning, I didn't understand her condition. I didn't understand the nature of it, and it actually wasn't until about year 15 that we did. There was a great book. If you happen to be in a relationship with borderline personality, it's called um, Stop Walking on Eggshells. It's a classic. And there's a website, borderline uh, bpdcentral.com, bpdcentral.com. So does that answer the question, Mahal? Yes, perfectly. Thank you. Mr. Christian, so did your wife recognize the fact that she has borderline, you know, personality disorder before you can proceed to adjusting that issue? No, I, I will say that she tried to warn me before we even got married. She said, you shouldn't marry me, she said. And she, she was married three years before we were and you know, was full of fighting and stuff. I just, I don't know. Uh, they have a way, uh, certain folks with these conditions have a way of sort of completely hiding it and masking it from others. And mm -hmm. um, and I hadn't seen hardly any signs of any trouble, but we did get married within six months. It was a very quick thing and we didn't have a lot of time together, uh, but she, she knew something wasn't right. She didn't understand her condition. Then she was diagnosed officially within about five years after we were six years after we were married. And then, you know, there were efforts to work on it and, you know, uh, medications in her case were effective. Sometimes they don't help a lot with folks with that condition, but, you know, at various times, you know, she was more invested in recovery than other times, but now she's very invested. And I've come to understand that a lot of things literally are out of her control. It's very easy to blame 
people with their behaviors and blame is like super unhealthy. It, there are so many gray areas when it comes to living in these situations. Mm -hmm. And we address that in our book a lot that you can see a lot, a lot of detailed stories and, and examples of where things just aren't cut and dried. And when things aren't cut and dried, you really need to rely on God. Now, what if your partner isn't relying on God? Because there was a lot of times that, you know, Helen really wasn't connected to the Lord and wasn't really seeking him. What do you do in that case? Well, it's a tough one. You know, how long do you decide to be patient and endure when you perceive that the spouse is really not investing, right? Every chapter in our book is, is titled after some kind of frustration that a spouse in my condition has experienced. And one of them is my needs are not being met because you're, you know, there's so much dysfunction in your relationship. All you feel like you're doing is focusing on the other person and all their problems and what they're doing to you. And you feel like, well, what about me? I mean, that's a very, very natural feeling. But we also talk about how a healthy relationship is 100% given, 100% from each spouse, not 50-50. Now, what if you're giving your 100%, not 110, you're giving your 100 and you know very well that other spouse, for whatever reason, their mental health condition or their commitment to God or some other thing, they just don't care perhaps, we don't really know what's in their heart. We can't judge. And that's another key is that, boy, if I learned to be non-judgmental and forgiving and learn to just let stuff go, because we just don't know. But what I do know is that I need to give my 100% for the relationship to have the Lord's blessing and I know better, and God's giving me gifts of mental stability and talents and things like that, and his word and his spirit in my heart, I need to give 100% and be very less concerned watching whether my spouse is giving their 100%. Eyes wide open before you're married, eyes half shut while you're married. That's kind of a good rule of thumb. Uh, hopefully that answered. Annette, you were going to say or ask something? Yes, I heard a lot of these phases like as a couple, you should have this relationship of give and take, right? But not all relationship can give and give or take or take because that's not going to work, right? So how are you going to encourage everyone to those have a couple that they only know how to take or they only or, or they only know how to take and the other couple is like they just give and give and yeah, they can't receive anything at all. Yeah, I think there's the key, Annette, and now I'm venturing into personal opinion. And again, this is the gray area that I'll start with in our situation. There were so many things about my wife, talents that she had, or aspects of her personality that were complementary to mine. Like I tend to be kind of a, you know, a studious introverted guy, and she's very lively and outgoing and funny and she's very social, and I learned a lot of social skills from her, and she made life fun in a lot of ways. She introduced a lot of laughter when things were good. I had to say to myself, looking back, despite the hardship year over year, was my life generally getting closer to God, and even better in other situations? Was I able to work? Was, was I progressing in my work? Was my career okay? You know, maybe I wasn't hitting the top because it was draining my energy so much, but was I generally progressing in life in a way that I felt like God's blessing and God's prospering hand was, was on us and that she was personally contributing to some of that? And I had to look back and say, yes, 
So I think if there are folks who are absolutely, you know, the narcissist, that's an absolute mental health condition, a person who is completely self-absorbed. They really have a hard time thinking about anybody else but themselves. And if they literally don't really do anything for you and you just feel completely drained and never rejuvenated, that's a real concern. That is a major concern. And that begins to, that begins to become abusive. At that point, person has to really look at abuse. And by the way, our overarching recommendation, uh, apart from looking to God, is we believe in the value of mental health professionals to seek counseling. It's worth the money. It's worth the time. You know, these people talking to them, reading, you know, resources, it will help you make those tough decisions. Like, like what you're articulating, Annette, is a very tough point. When is it that a person's not giving anything and I have no hope of them ever giving anything because, again, that's abusive. But on the other hand, we have the world generally who says, hey, if I marry the right person, they're going to fill all my holes. They're going to meet all my needs. They're going to make me happy. That's their job is to make me happy. That's what the world says generally about marriages. And there's a great book that we reference in our book by Timothy Keller, very popular Christian pastor and author, called The Meaning of Marriage. And he just smashes that notion, just dashes it, because it's only in Christ that those deep holes of neediness can be filled. If we're looking to our partner to fill those holes and bring us joy, we're absolutely, we're part of the problem when we do that. So both spouses have to understand that they need to seek God first. He will, he can fill that hole. But that said, if you are seeking and getting filled from Christ, and you're not getting con contribution, kind of like what I shared, where there was a lot of pain, a lot of hardship, but there was still filling going on. There was still contribution happening that was meaningful to me. I could look back on that. So thanks for asking that. That was a very subtle, important point, because things like unfairness in marriage are so tricky, right? There's unfairness in terms of who does the dishes and who watches the children. That's a little easier to deal with. Mm -hmm. The typical stuff that couples think is unfair. But what about the way people communicate or the degree to which they show love and affection? And there's a lot of levels of unfairness that are hurtful and that take energy. And that's one of the other things we have an entire chapter in the book about is how do you tap into God and to have him to start fill you when your spouse is not giving you what you need, at least at that time. Those are tough issues. But Again, back to the point of hope, our story and our book is one of hope, that there are ways through it. And I will say, and I'm not trying to sell you the book, this is our story. We put it out there. Uh, Mahal can forward you an email, I'm sorry, a link to our website where we have basic points, all of the points in our book listed in a summary form. And you can get a lot of information just out of that for free. You know, it is a great book, but we got some low reviews from folks that thought it was too religious. So they just didn't understand it was a Christian book. And some who thought perhaps that it was a little too giving, that it was maybe saying that people can give more than they felt was reasonable to give. But in Christ, I found that I could give far more than I ever, ever imagined and to be strengthened and to feel good and come out the other end just being grateful. So again, long answer, but great question. Thank you. Yeah. So what is so good about the Bible and, and the God, you know, this, um, the word of God is 
it's our hope, the only hope that we have. You now, believing in Christ, believing in Jesus, that He is our only hope, will give us the inspiration to move on and go forward to our life. And it's really good. And same with your book, like giving, you know, with all this experience that you are sharing to your book, mm -hmm. and people can read that and know that, that, okay, this person, this couple has taken this hardship than mine. Mm -hmm. And you go through on that real, on that hardship. How can I don't right? right. So right. it's a really encouragement to others. I I think that's a major part of it. Even though our book is only about maybe thirty percent our story, uh, the rest is scriptural insights, and then there's also secular insights from you know world-renowned researchers about marriage and mental health and stuff like that. So there's a nice blend. of putting it all together, I think that's actually one of the things that makes this book so unique is it puts solid research in the context of a story in the Bible. It all comes together. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the first part of our conversation and don't forget to follow us so you don't miss the next part of our live stream, which I promise you don't want to miss it. And thank you again and now let us reflect through everything we've heard by listening to this beautiful music from our Spotify sponsor. Thank you and always remember, come to Jesus daily. Until next time, have a blessed day. Till you stop bleeding, until your heart stops kick drum beating. When it's hard times, when it's long days, and the enemy is right up in your face. When your back's against the ropes, and you're feeling all alone. Keep fighting the good Step, giving you the next breath. I'll be the voice saying you're gonna make it when you're out there on your own. You are never alone. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep letting your light shine. Cause I'm never gonna leave you. Always gonna see you through to the other side. Keep fighting the good, fighting the good. In the good fight, good fight. Just keep on singing and keep on dancing. The joy will be your banner, and my love will be your anthem. And you may never know what your tomorrow holds, but you can know that I am holding your tomorrow. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep letting your light shine, yeah. Keep fighting.